So uh, before I talk or, or read anything, uh, I'm going to pray for us and for our time looking at God's Word uh, for Matthew chapter 6. So uh, let me pray for us real quick. Father, uh, you, know, um, you know my own heart, and you know that as I look at a passage like this that I just uh, I tremble because uh, of, of my calling to be a pastor and to uh, talk about spiritual things with people and to pray with people and to follow up with them. And you know that so often my motives are so that people will look at me and will think I'm great or... I hope they think I'm great or they hope that they think I'm a good pastor or whatever. Um, And that's sin. And I pray that you would root that out of my own heart, even right now as I talk and as I battle that desire to want to be uh, seen as as wonderful. And I pray that you would let me hide behind your word that uh, through this time that Jesus would be great, that I must decrease so that he will increase. Um, Be with those who are here and who... Uh, are listening and thinking, and I pray that you would meet them in that, and that they would uh, realize that your words are true, they are everlasting, they are applicable, and that they are life-giving. And I pray that we would find life tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, So tonight, uh, we're going to talk about why we do the things we do. Um... And as we approach this passage and talk about this, I think we can all agree and realize this one thing. Whether you would consider yourself particularly religious or not, or a Christian or not, um, I think we can all agree that we go through life asking some very foundational questions, such as, why am I here? What am I here for? Not just that TU, but, you know, if you're having kind of those big moments like, why am I even here? What is my purpose in life? What am I doing? Uh, Why am I at TU? Who am I getting this education for? What am I doing, whatever I'm doing for? What are my my base motivations in all of these things? And I also think there's, there's another thing that we're all asking and we're all trying to do, whether or not we may ever verbalize it or articulate it, is that we all want to be somebody. Uh, And to prove that point, all of us, we have this tremendous fear of being nobody, of being insignificant in our lives. The truth is, some of you feel insignificant, and that is why you struggle with depression and and some of the things that you do, because you really kind of wonder, I don't really feel like I'm anybody. But none of us want to be that. We don't set out as children (laughs) saying, when I grow up, I want to be a nobody. I want to have no friends. I want to see no impact on the world through what I do. Uh, You know, that's the opposite of what we want. We want to be somebody. And so the way that we process life is that along the way, as we're observing the way this world works, we see things that we look and see, oh, society deems that if you are that, if you are athletic, if you are uh, particularly academically minded and gifted, or if you are socially able to kind of hang with lots of different circles and be liked and accepted in lots of different places, if you're beautiful, if you're good in leadership positions and student government and things like that, there are all these things that we look at and we say, that's going to be my road to be somebody. And some of us juggle multiple things. But we latch onto these things because we think they're going to give us significance in life. 
But there's this other thing that some of us do and that we try to latch onto to bring us significance. And it's, it's the way we live our lives spiritually. It's our spiritual condition, our spiritual life. And it is that very thing that Jesus looks at in this passage and that he's addressing to his followers at that time who were his disciples and anyone else who had gathered around. By the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says that there were lots of others there. So we can kind of imagine the crowds building and building. And he looks at them and says, there is going to be a particular danger if you follow me, if, if you receive forgiveness from God through me, and thus you're declared righteous, there's going to be this particular danger that in practicing your righteousness, that you're going to be tempted to do that for your own glory. That you're going to be tempted to do that so others will see you. It's that very thing that Jesus looks at. And so the question for us tonight as we look at this is, how do I do how do I practice Christianity? How do I, in the passage, calls it practicing your righteousness? How do I practice my righteousness so that I'm not just doing it to be seen by others? So let's read uh, in the passage in Matthew 6, 1 through 18. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The sin is the reading of God's Word. Look, one of, uh, one of the best things about relationships and about maturing in relationships with anybody, um, but it, it, think about a, a romantic relationship for a second. One of the best things about that is that as you spend more and more time around somebody, um, you get to that point where you get to know each other so well that you can anticipate what's coming next. Like you know how that person is going to react to this thing or how, what words they're about to say or how they're about to answer that question. 
right? And so girls were like, oh my gosh, she finished my sentence and it felt amazing. And we were like, ah, and it was like, ah. And guys were like, yeah, like she knew I was about to go play Xbox. And, you know, it's like, well, it's because you always play Xbox. That's actually not a big deal. Um, but it feels good. It feels good to be known. And so with your friends, you know, you get to that point in the relationship where you're comfortable with each other and you kind of know how each other are going to respond and act, do different things. Jesus is looking at his followers, and, and thus, he's looking at many of you, and he's saying, look, I get it. I get you. I know that when you follow me, and when you have this righteousness declared over you by trusting in me, and God sees you as right and righteous in his sight, I know that when that's true of you, that you are going to be tempted to practice and to live that out or to try and be godly so that others will see you and so that others will think that you're good or godly or spiritual or whatever. But Jesus is saying, that's, that's not the best thing. Do not do this. And rather, Jesus encourages us in this passage to practice our righteousness for one person. For God, our Father in heaven, He is trying to get us to live in such a way that we are living for an audience of one person. And so as that we can, so that we can be freed from moving out into this world wondering what the thousands of other people think about me, what they think about you. Can you imagine that sort of freedom of knowing that there is one person that matters? And Jesus is walking us through that. And the way that he kind of builds his case here is he has these three different sections in this passage. He has the first one on giving, the second one on praying, and the third one on fasting. And he has the exact same kind of construction in all of them. If you look down, it goes like this. He says, when you give or pray fast, uh, and, and in that he's assuming that a normal part of, of the Christian life is that you give your money away and that you pray and that you fast, which is just... You take a break from kind of the normal course of life and set aside time for, for more prayer than you normally do or to meditate on God or, or to read the Word more or something. And he's just assuming that following Him entails these things. Maybe, maybe it does for you right now. Maybe it doesn't. Jesus says this is a, a normal part of following. When you do these things, do not do them as the hypocrites do. Don't do it like this. Don't do it to be seen by others. But when you do it, do it this other way so that you may do it in secret for that audience of one so that God will see you. And in each case, he looks and says, when God sees you in that way, he will reward you. Okay? So to help us kind of work through that, there are three things I want us to see. The first is that privacy is primary. The privacy is primary in this stuff. The second is that simple is better. And the third, that God, God's rewards are richer. So, look, privacy is primary. What do I mean by that? Well, I, I give it as our first point because, really, it's kind of the main point. It's kind of the whole point of what Jesus is teaching, is, uh, teaching here. But I want to talk about it a bit because Jesus talks about the primacy of living out our Christian life for the smile of one person, for the audience of one person, because he has to offer this as a necessary corrective to what was happening in his day, to what happens in our day, and if we're going to be honest, to what happens in my heart and in your heart all the time. 
So it's kind of one of those things where Jesus is like, don't, yeah, don't be like the hypocrites. And we're like, yeah, don't be like the hypocrites. And I think what Jesus is doing is he's drawing us into this and saying, yeah, you're a hypocrite. And our motives are always mixed and screwed up. And we never always do things 100% purely from the heart. And so he walks in this. And look, it's obvious from the passage that there were a group of people or some number of people who, who preferred to practice their righteousness out in public. These people he's calling the hypocrites. Uh, you know, that might have been the Pharisees. He kind of dogs on them at other points or the scribes, different things. We don't really know. He just kind of says the hypocrites, don't do it like this. And as we look at it, apparently, as they would walk into the temple to give their money, which was a normal part of, of even Jewish piety, that they would like bring bands along with them. It's like, da, 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 dropping 5,000 right here. What's up? And like everyone would know about it. So that people could look at them and say, you're awesome. That's so great. You're giving so much money. Yeah. Or that when the daily time for prayer came, when it's time to do the sacrifices and the, and, the, and the trumpets would blow at the temple, that these people apparently, and most scholars and Jewish rabbis would say that there was a whole contingent of people who just so happened to be found in the most public place when those trumpets blew and when pious Jews were supposed to be praying. What did they do? They dropped to their knees and they'd pray. And they'd pray these big prayers. Oh, God, you are so most holy. And da, 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 da. To be seen by others. Or when they fasted, they did things to their faces and put ashes on there. And they didn't brush their hair. So that people would say, hey, kind of a rough morning. Oh, no, I'm just fasting. Oh, sorry, I even asked. You know, like this whole thing that they were doing was just so they would be seen by others. And we're thinking, yeah, I've never been that obnoxious in my spiritual life. I, I haven't done things to that extreme. And we let ourselves off the hook, but should we? Well, in verse 1, if you look down, Jesus warns us not of actually being seen by others, but even that slight inclination of our heart that wants to be seen by others is what He's warning against. That little bit of trying to do something spiritual so that someone will see me, whether or not anyone actually sees you. It... Again, this passage is it's terrifying to me as a pastor because just by the nature of my calling and what God has me doing in life, I practice righteousness in front of others. I mean, I'm doing things like praying with you. I read the Bible with some of you. Um, I pray a lot. I, I mean, like, that's not me praying. That's just part of what I do as a job. And so there's this always and ever-present temptation that when I do it, I'm doing it to be seen by you so that you'll think I'm great. But I know it's not just me. I know that if you're a Christian, that you struggle with this. I don't have to ask you. I know you do. I know that maybe even if you're not a Christian, you've figured out that to be a spiritual person, or to kind of act religious, and particularly in Tulsa, to act like you're a Christian has certain societal value and will get you certain benefits before other people. Here on campus, it may get you favor when you're trying to get a position or when you're trying to get into a certain friend group. 
If you can say things like, you know, God bless you, or I'll be thinking about you and praying for you, or, you know, God's in control and He works everything out for good. You're just kind of these, these things that we say and we just utter all the time. And if we're honest, we kind of just say and utter them so that people will say, oh, she must pray a lot. She's going to pray for me. She must pray about lots of things. Um, have you ever heard of the humble brag? Have you ever heard of this? Yes, a couple of nods. I just now heard of this today. It's kind of like it sounds. It's humbly bragging. Um, and so I got onto this website. Actually, there's a guy's blog today. And he was kind of illustrating how the humble brag works. And even if you don't know what it is, you know what it is. It's where, um, you know, you open up Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, whatever, and you're scrolling through something, and someone is very obviously proud about something, yet they try to case it in a very humble way. Uh, And the one that he points out that I like, he points out a lot of them, a lot of different ways you can do this, but he says... um, that there's this subheading in the way that we blame it on Jesus, um, where he says the best humble braggers know how to legitimately to, to legitimize their boast by incorporating the divine. This way, it's not really about you; it's about Jesus. And his uh, illustration he gave was this: um, I just got asked to perform at the Dove Awards, which is like the Christian uh, Grammys. I just got asked to perform at the Dove Awards. Go, Jesus! It's like. <laughs> what? And it's all about you. Um, or maybe for you, it's like tweeting uh, or updating your status or whatever, putting a picture of your offer letter from ExxonMobil. It's like, yes, I just got the advanced second level, you know, petroleum engineering internship next summer. It was hard work, but praise God. You know, like that you just kind of spin it in such a way or that uh, it, this is the thing I've been praying for. Then when you got, in reality, what you're doing is you're just boasting. You're saying, I'm awesome. Uh, I did this. I worked my tail off during the year. Anyone around me knows I didn't hang out at all because I was solely focused on this one thing. It had become my idol. I lived for it. And now that I got it, I'm going to spin it in this spiritual way so that people, or maybe so that I can try to trick myself or trick God into thinking that it was really about Him. Um, And we do this in big ways. We do it in little ways. There's little ways that we drop this so people can know that I'm a spiritual person. Maybe that you come to RUF or you kind of drop hints that you go to church or you participate in a Bible study or pray or have quiet times in in public places so that others will see you. And you'll probably never admit this to anybody. I hope you will. I hope you'll be honest about some of these inner workings of your heart and to confess that to other people because that's healthy and we need to do that. But this is that stuff that we just kind of hold inside because that's, that's really embarrassing. It's really shameful to think that I actually try to manipulate God and spin God to where He's kind of for my own agenda. But we need to just acknowledge that we do it. We do it. It's part of it. Um. <clears throat> As I was thinking about this and studying this passage, and even as I was writing this right there, I was really tempted to say, as I was praying and studying for this passage, because I actually wanted you to know that I don't just study. Like, it's not just an academic thing. I actually am praying for this. And I wanted you all to know that, because that's important that you know that I'm spiritual. Um, But as I was kind of working through this, I became really convicted about why... I sometimes send you guys texts and, you know, if, we, if we've just met and you've 
shared something, and I said, I'll pray for that. Sometimes I will text you and say, hey, I was praying for you this morning. How's that going? And I just have to, have to confess that to you, that sometimes that is so that you will think like, oh, man, Brent's a good pastor. Like, he's thinking about me. He's praying for me so that you'll see me in that kind of light. Maybe so that you'll trust me more or so that you'll think I'm whatever, whatever. Or I'll say something like, hey, I was wanting to follow up with you on this. So that you look and say, man, he cares. He remembers. And there's a part of me, y'all, that does that so that you'll think I'm great. And I do it to be seen by you. So that's what's happening in my heart. Where is this at work in your heart, in your life? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but, but, but think through it. Where is this at work? Where do you do this? Uh, Martin Luther often insisted that our righteousness is more dangerous than our sin. Well, that sounds bizarre. But actually our righteousness, the good things we do, are and can be more dangerous than the bad things we do. Why? Because when we do good things, we feel really good about them. And we want other people around us to see that we do good things. Whereas usually when we do bad things... To some level, we feel bad about them. And other people, uh, it's not like we want to brag about hooking up last night. Like, Dad, you see I was walking, walking home at 5 a.m. this morning? No. Um, our righteousness is, is deadly in a sense because of what it does in us. Um, last thing on this point, real quick. I think there's at least one other reason why we're tempted to practice our righteousness out there instead of in privacy. It's because some of us just really aren't that secure in our relationship with God. And we kind of do our spiritual things out there to be seen, to kind of get God's attention a little bit and say, Hey God, did you see, did you see that Bible study I went to? Did you see how I said that I was going to pray for that person? Or did you see the way I acted right there? And we're kind of doing that because at the end of the day, we really just don't believe, we don't know, we're not secure in the fact that the God and the Lord of heaven and earth, that He loves you and that He just likes you and that He's already approved of you through what Jesus has done. Because that, that has never really landed in our heart. We're always trying to say, hey, look at me. And we're like an insecure friend who's always having to say, hey, we're friends, right? We're friends, right? We're friends, right? We're friends, right? God's like, I, I don't know, are we? Like, do you know me? Are you resting in the grace that I came to give you? But see, that's not, that's not all that Jesus does in this passage. As He speaks to these followers, He says, as you, as you engage in practicing your righteousness, that simple is better. Simple is better. Um, and while I think that simplicity could be applied to the areas of giving and fasting, you know, maybe you know, don't give in such a way that you're always just calculating how to get the maximum tax refund, you know, by giving to your church or whatever, which that really happens, and I, I've done it. God, confession night, I do that. Um, it's not all about me, I promise. Um, but, but really, Jesus, what he's doing here is he draws us into the example of prayer. He draws us into the example of prayer because I think there's a, a, specific, a particular temptation in praying for us, that we're, that we're going to do it and we're just going to kind of enter into it so that we can be seen by others. And I just want to say that God doesn't care as much about your words as He does your heart. He just doesn't. He's not impressed with your impressive prayers. And He's not 
depressed by your depressive prayers. He wants you. He just wants you to pray. He wants you to say, God, I don't even know what I'm doing right now. I've never done this before ever. Amen. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. In fact, he looks out at verse 7 and 8, and he cautions us from just throwing around empty phrases like the Gentiles do, which is just another way of saying like the pagans do, like people who kind of follow all these other false gods like they do. So what does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, in 1 Kings 18, there's this, it's, hilar- it's a hilarious story really if it weren't so sad, um, of this kind of thing where, where Elijah he challenges the prophets of Baal in this kind of this, my God is bigger than your God kind of thing. And he looks at them and says, okay, we're going to do this thing. We're going to put a sacrifice on this altar. And when I say go, you are going to try to get your God to, con- uh, to, to consume that altar with fire, take the sacrifice. That seems really bizarre to us. It was very normal back then. And so Elijah says, ready, go. And it says the prophets of Baal, they dance around and they chant this one thing over and over and over. They say, oh, Baal, answer us. And it says they did it from morning until noon. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer Just repetition, just again and again and again and again, hoping to get his attention, hoping to get this other false god's attention. Nothing happened. I'm not going to give you the rest of the story. It's amazing. 1 Kings 18, read it. It's awesome. Seneca, who was a um, a Stoic Roman philosopher from the first century, right around the time of Jesus, actually, uh, he encouraged his his followers in their prayer life to whatever gods, Roman gods they wanted to pray to. He encouraged them. He said, fatigue the gods. (laughs) Just wear them out. Pray so much and just say things so that you will tire them into action. Uh, a guy named Marshall, who is a Spanish poet from just after Jesus' time. So this is stuff going on around Jesus that he's speaking into. This guy named Marshall looks out and says, Let all of you wear yourself out with your petitions to the gods. Just totally exhaust yourself by the amount that you pray, saying whatever, it doesn't matter, just pray so much, just empty these phrases. So the prevailing thought of his day was that repetition or to praying to all the gods would give you your best chance of being heard so that maybe one God would listen and do something. And Jesus is coming right into the middle of that and saying, no, don't do that. Uh, our four-year-old, Nora Klein, uh, she's really into repeating herself right now, uh, really annoyingly so. Um, I love her. She's really sweet. Uh, But she has figured out that if she wants something, the best way to at least get our attention is to just say it over and 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 over again. Like, just let it go again and again and again and again. And the reason that she does that is because I'm not a good father and I don't listen to her. I'm not, I'm doing my own thing. I'm just, she's like background noise, like the TV or something. And it's just back there. And eventually I'm so annoyed, but I'm like, ah, what do you want? She wants the thing she's been asking for for two minutes. God is not like me. We don't have to annoy him to get his attention. When you pray, when you direct your thoughts toward him, regardless of what you pray, he hears you. He knows you. He sees in secret the thoughts of your heart. You don't have to impress him. You have his ear, and he loves you, and he's attentive to your prayers. 
And Jesus goes on to give a model for prayer here. It's a great prayer. The best prayer, maybe. I don't know. I like the Acts formula in praying. Adore God. Confess your sin. Thank, give Him thanksgiving. And then supplication, which is a fancy way of saying just ask Him for stuff. Because I, when I go to pray, my mind's like rabbit trails all day long. I need something just to do. ACTS. That help, that's helpful for me. Jesus gives a model here of helpful prayer. The important thing is, is that we come to Him. God knows what's best for you. He's going to answer according to His good will for your life. Paul says in Romans eight seventeen that if we are His children, then we are heirs. Then we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Listen, because you have God's ear, you can pray and ask Him stuff, and He is going to answer His prayer according to what's best. You have His favor. Finally, God's rewards are richer. As Jesus works through this teaching, He understands us. He understands that we're motivated in all sorts of ways. He understands that... Um, that when we go out to try and, and be a Christian in this world, that we will struggle with practicing in front of others. He knows that for me to drop that line in conversation with you, or for, for you to look at that girl and tell her something about how much you pray, or for you girls to look at the guy saying something about reading your Bible or whatever, that we do these things to be seen. Because we perceive that there is some value in doing that. That if I say that, then blank will happen. Then I will get this response. There will be some sort of lowercase r reward. It may not be huge, but it will be something. And that's why we do this stuff. That's why you're tempted to do it. That's why I do it. And Jesus is looking, and He's saying, look, when you get acknowledged as spiritual or discerning or whatever, He's like, hey, you just got your reward. You just got it. When I was thinking about this, I had this mental illustration, maybe crazy, I don't know. That think of like an office worker who just they get bills that come across their desk. Some of them will be marked as paid, some of them unpaid, and they put them into two stacks and they act accordingly. I think of it like God as He's processing our good works, I don't know, this may be heresy, I don't know. Hold with me. As He's processing the the things that we do, that as they come across His desk. Some of them will be stamped with paid in full. Reward has already been given. And some of them, he'll be saying, ah, they did that for me, for my smile. And I will reward them. Jesus is saying that he will reward us. And in full disclosure, I don't know what that means. I don't know what to be rewarded by God in this sense. I don't know what that means. I don't think that this kind of secondary reward is the most important reason to do something for God. I think the primary reward in following Jesus is that we get God, period. That we're restored to Him, that we have that relationship. We can have that security and that newfound identity and the hope, forgiveness, all of that stuff. I think that's the primary reason that Christians, that's the primary reward we get. But there is this secondary thing that is there. Jesus says it in verse 4, 6, and 18. Your Father who is in heaven will reward you. One scholar says that by putting it to the very end, it's like Jesus saying, oh, He will reward you. He's trying to get us to see God will reward you. He knows that in our day and age, we are so tempted to live for immediate gratification. 
It's the reason that we do all sorts of stuff. It's the reason that we do sinful things. It's the reason we try to do these righteous things because we just want that feeling now. It's the reason why it's hard to follow God. Because following God means that we are signing up for delayed gratification. Maybe this reward means it's a spiritual thing and it means that God's going to draw us closer to Him or to assure us of our salvation deep down. Or that He's going to answer prayer and we're going to know that. Or maybe it means that He's going to give you the job that you wanted. I don't know. I really don't know. But He promises us that there are richer rewards to be had from God than just by following society. Two weeks ago, Sarah and I were invited to um, some friend's house. uh, And we love these friends. They They are uh, some friends' house for dinner, and we were on a string. There's probably six couples that were invited. And these friends are awesome. They're great hosts. They throw great parties. They, they make good food. They have good wine and good drink. And it's just a fun time to go over there. It's, it literally has never been boring. It's been awesome. And so when we looked at the list of who was invited, and as we thought about everything that might happen, we were sad because we had already planned to go to my parents' house that weekend in southern Oklahoma. But I can promise you that because with what was being held out there at this dinner party invitation, we were so tempted to go, not that we knew exactly what would happen, but we knew that the mix of people with the food and the wine and the fact that there were going to be no kids, which is like the most exciting thing, um, that it was going to be an awesome night. And we knew the potential was there for it to be great. What I'm saying is that we have to look at God and say, there's really no reason to think that if I go to Him in prayer that He's going to turn up a dud. Do you understand what's offered in the Gospel? Do you understand how freakishly of a good deal that is for us and how terrible of a deal that was for God? That He willingly gave His own Son handed him over to death so that you could be brought into his family. He loves you that much. Can you imagine anything more hopeful and wonderful than that God actually promising that he will reward you for your righteous deeds done in secret? I don't know what that means, y'all, but it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Everything about what He says in His Word and who He says He is leads us to think that there's really something good that's going to happen. Jesus is asking us to trust that God is good and that following Him and living for that audience of one is better than anything we have to give up. He's saying that His rewards are richer Because with Him as your audience, He is already clapping for you before you ever walk on the stage. He is not waiting for you to perform. He already loves you. He's like a dad who's just so freaking excited that you're there. And that you want to do anything for Him with your mixed motives or whatever He's just proud of you because He loves you. And I just wonder if you thought of God like that, if it would free you up to do, to live and to follow Jesus, 
And to repent when you know that you're doing it for others. And to say, God, help me right now. I'm about to go do this thing. I'm so tempted just to do this for that girl or that guy. Help me. And then just go do it. And trust that the Father in heaven is looking at you. And He smiles on you and saying, well done. I am pleased with you. Because when you do it and you're in Christ, your offerings to God come through Jesus. They're purified and they come to God and He is pleased with you. And He will reward you. Let's pray.